Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of our Step 1 Study Smarter series. Today I'll be your host, Amy, and I actually don't have a guest joining me today, so the episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. And we are going to be powering through uh, quite a few biochemistry and genetics themed questions. And I wanted to say a big thank you to our partner Physio because that's where a lot of our content um, today is coming from. Um, So quickly how our episode today is going to work. I'm going to give more recall styled questions. I will have a few A, B, C, D, or E multiple choice questions thrown in there, but in general, they're mostly going to be recall style. I'll give you a few seconds to come up with an answer and then I'll answer and go through some quick high yield points to remember about each subject or maybe how we kind of got to that end answer because that's kind of how biochem is. It's pretty like, do you know this or do you not know this? It's one of the very, um, I would say, recall heavy portions of step one. So I'll try and give you as many um, extra points on your exam as possible. (laughs) All right, so let's get started. A 55-year-old male with a history of heavy alcohol and tobacco use presents to the physician due to a three-week history of unstable gait, numbness, and tingling in the extremities, and generalized weakness. Physical examination reveals ataxia, decreased proprioception, and bilateral weakness. Stool analysis reveals an increased fat concentration. CT of the abdomen shows a mass concerning for malignancy. Which of the following is most likely deficient in this patient? A. Vitamin B6 or pyridoxine. B. Vitamin E. C. Vitamin B12 or cobalamin. D, vitamin B1, thiamine. E, vitamin B9 or folate. Or F, vitamin A. So the correct answer is actually vitamin E deficiency. Now, how did we get to that? So we have increased fat concentration in the stool and abdominal mass and a history of alcohol and tobacco use. All of this leads to pancreatic malignancy. With all of that, we have fat malabsorption, which leads to these neurological deficits that we're seeing, which come from this vitamin E deficiency. Now, how did we like really get to that vitamin E deficiency? Because you could have been really tempted, especially with the alcohol use disorder, to be leaning towards like a B1 thiamine. Or maybe even like a a B12, cobalamine deficiency, because that can also have these kind of somewhat similar neurological effects. So, but to make it like specifically vitamin E, you're going to be looking for symptoms of demyelination of the posterior columns and the spinocerebellar tracts, which is going to lead to like a decrease in proprioception and vibration sensation and that ataxia. Um, And I know that B12 deficiency does have pretty similar neurological symptoms, but a test question, if it's pulling for that B12 deficiency, is going to more so highlight the hypersegmented neutrophils, megaloblastic anemia, and increased methylmalonic acid levels, which, of course, vitamin E deficiency does not cause. 
Back to my vitamin B1 deficiency point. It is more common than a vitamin E deficiency, but if you're if a stem is really pointing towards a B1 deficiency, um, you really want to look for that triad of confusion, ophthalmoplegia, and ataxia. So this stem did not have the op- ophthalmoplegia or the uh, confusion. Last point for this question. Um, I really wanted to hit this home somewhere along this because I feel like it's really important and it's not something you don't want to miss clinically as well as um, for your board exams. So if someone you think is malnourished or you really think that they have a thiamine deficiency, always, 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 always supplement them with the thiamine before you refeed them or give them any kind of glucose. You can actually worsen or induce uh, Wernicke's encephalopathy as glucose leads to a furthering of the ATP depletion that the thiamine deficiency has already begun. So just a couple little tidbits that I've taken away from all the board studying that I've done um, throughout medical school. So on to our next question. A 42-year-old female with a past medical history significant for multiple psychiatric hospital admissions presents with recent onset fatigue. She is accompanied by her brother, who states that her eating habits have been quite eccentric. A CBC reveals anemia with an MCV of 118. Homocysteine levels are elevated, but methylmalonic acid levels are normal. What two supplements are likely to improve this patient's anemia? And the correct answer is thiamine and folate would be most likely to improve this patient's anemia. So let's see, how did we get there? Our patient has a macrocytic anemia, an eccentric eating habit, elevated homocysteine levels, and a normal methylmalonic acid level. All of those really point to a folate deficiency because a B12 deficiency would result in an elevated uh, methylmalonic acid level. Now, why would we also supplement with thiamine? Well, we would because a folate deficiency actually results in decreased thiamine synthesis. And so if we don't have folate, we need to also supplement with thiamine. And so that's kind of how we got to that answer. All right, moving on to the next question. I did promise this was going to be a rapid review. A four-year-old boy is brought to the physician by his mother due to swelling in his leg. The mother states that his symptoms developed yesterday. Since then, the boy has complained of difficulty walking. On exam, he is noted to be intellectually delayed. He is in the 99th percentile for height, and his limbs are especially elongated. Labs reveal elevated cystathionine and homocysteine. A deficiency of what enzyme is most likely responsible for this patient's condition? I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. Okay, so he most likely has a deficiency of methionine synthase. So bear with me for a minute. So we know that this patient has a marfanoid habitus, so those elongated limbs. He has an intellectual disability. He most likely has a DVT. And lab markers were an elevated cystathionine and homocysteine, which leads to homocysteinuria. When you have that specifically elevated cystathionine and elevated homocysteine, it's a deficiency in methionine synthase, which is the correct answer. Um, But the reason I kind of emphasize that is because when you actually look at that part of this pathway, 
it's pretty linear. So you have homocysteine and in one direction it goes towards methionine and in another direction it goes towards cystothionine which then goes to cysteine. And so all things in equilibrium, right? So if we have a broken methionine synthase, then you're going to have low to no levels of methionine. You're going to have elevated levels of homocysteine. And then because homocysteine doesn't really have anywhere to go during following that pathway, it moves down the cystothionine to cysteine pathway. So you have elevated levels of homocysteine, cystothionine, and cysteine. However, likewise, if you end up having a break in that step, so from the homocysteine to the cystothionine, which is um, produced through the cystothionine synthase, the cystothionine synthase is um, broken or knocked out through some mutation, you are also going to have um, a similar presentation, except your methionine is going to be elevated and your homocysteine will be elevated but the cystothionine and cysteine will be decreased. So long story short, methothionine synthase is broken if you have elevated homocysteine and elevated cystothionine and cysteine. Um, and then cystothionine synthase is broken if you have low levels of cystothionine and cysteine and elevated levels of homocysteine and methionine, um, but they're both going to produce this impaired conversion of homocysteine, um, thus elevated levels of homocysteine, which ends up being the clinical picture of homocysteinuria. And then lastly, just one last point, homocysteinuria is typically autosomal recessive. Just gotta remember those things for boards. All right, on to our next question. A 16-year-old female is brought to the physician by her father due to worsening vision over the past two weeks. He states that she has a history of mild cognitive impairment and diarrhea. Fundoscopy reveals bilateral retinitis pigmentosa. Laboratory findings are significant for low levels of total serum cholesterol. What apolipoproteins are most likely deficient in this patient? I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. Our patient most likely has a deficiency of ApoB48 and ApoB100. <laughs> now, how in the world did we get there? So first you have to realize she has worsening vision, bilateral retinitis pigmentosa, and low levels of total serum cholesterol, i.e. she has A-beta lipoproteinemia. Try saying that five times fast. And that is basically a deficiency in, like I said, ApoB48 and ApoB100, which leads to a decrease in chylomicrons, VLDL, IDL, and LDL. There is a mutation in the microsomal triglyceride transfer protein, or MTTP gene. In um, younger versions, so she has like a later onset version, um, but when this is found in like toddlers, uh, you may see acanthocytes or spur cells in the blood. And then her fat malabsorption was most likely leading to her vision changes, um, which is caused by a deficiency of vitamin A, which is one of your ADEC or vitamin A, D, E, and K, which are our fat soluble vitamins, um, which thus leads to she was having her neurological changes caused by deficiency of vitamin E. All right. And now moving on to our next question. 
A 41-year-old homeless male is brought to the ED after being found unconscious. The individual who brought him to the hospital stated that he smelled of alcohol. After proper resuscitation, it is determined that he has a vitamin deficiency resulting in memory problems. What enzyme involved in the synthesis of DNA is likely impaired as a result of this patient's vitamin deficiency? I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. So the enzyme involved in the synthesis of DNA is transketolase. So you probably rightly recognized this patient has a thiamine deficiency, most likely, from his um, alcohol use disorder. And thiamine is a necessary cofactor for transketolase. Now, where have we heard transketolase before? Well, it is essential and necessary for nucleotide synthesis, i.e. DNA synthesis. Um, so basically, transketolase is that step between, say, fructose 6-phosphate being turned into ribose 5-phosphate, um, which is then the precursor for nucleotide synthesis. And this is often how biochem questions are. Um, so they'll lead you in with um, a scenario and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I totally got this. It's thiamine. Um, but then you have to go another step further and realize, oh, yeah, thiamine is involved in these enzymes, processes. But don't worry too much because I know you all have got this and I believe in you. All right, pep talk over. On to our next question. <laughs> a 40-year-old female presents with two months of bloody vaginal discharge. She states that her cycle normally occurs every 28 days and flow normally lasts three to four days. Two years ago, she had an ovarian malignancy surgically removed. The physician confirms a diagnosis of endometrial carcinoma. However, he suspects a genetic condition as the underlying cause and orders a fecal occult blood test, which comes back positive. DNA analysis of malignant tissue would most likely reveal cytosine-rich regions of DNA pairing with what other base? I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. So the other base or bases is going to be adenine and thiamine uh, rather than the normal cytosine and guanine. Uh, but let's take a few steps back to see how we got to that answer. So first you realize, okay, so this patient had ovarian cancer, endometrial, and likely has colon cancer, so that positive fecal occult blood test. Um, with all of those um, things going on in a fairly young individual, Lynch syndrome should probably come to mind. And we know that Lynch syndrome is due to mutations of DNA mismatch repair genes. And so, as I said earlier, normally cytosine pairs with guanine, but because of a defect in mismatch repair, cytosine is going to be abnormally paired with adenine and thiamine rather than its happy match with guanine. Our next question. A pharmaceutical company has developed a treatment for Alzheimer's disease. Normally, the amyloid precursor protein, APP gene, is transcribed into mRNA, which ultimately results in the production of amyloid beta peptides. Overproduction of these peptides are thought to be the cause of Alzheimer's disease. In several clinical trials, this new drug was shown to decrease the levels of mature mRNA transcribed from the APP gene. However, the levels of pre-mRNA transcribed from the APP gene remained elevated. Based on the information provided, what can most likely be deduced about the mechanism of action of the newly developed drug? Feel free to give that another listen and then think about it. So we know that the 
drug decreases the levels of mature mRNA, but the levels of pre-mRNA remained elevated. This drug is most likely an siRNA, so a synthetically derived miRNA. You might also know siRNA as silent RNA or small interfering RNA. And we do know that siRNAs destroy messenger RNA, basically by binding onto them. And they're not able to be used as single-strand messenger RNA, and so they're degraded. Which is how um, this proposed drug can rightly have lots of pre-mRNA because it's not affecting um, how the gene is being amplified, but it is affecting the product and destroying it. On to the next question. A seven-year-old unimmunized boy presents with a sore throat that started three days ago. His parent also notes uh, a general malaise and low-grade fevers. On exam, the seven-year-old has cervical lymphadenopathy, pharyngeal erythema, and coalescing patches of gray fibrotic tissue directly adjacent to his tonsils. The physician suspects that this patient's symptoms are due to an infectious organism that produces an exotoxin. This exotoxin most likely inhibits what factor associated with eukaryotic translation? So the factor that it inhibits is the elongation factor 2, or EF-2. So let's go back to the question and work through it and see how we can come to that answer. So pharyngitis and coalescing patches of gray fibrotic tissue probably brings to mind pseudomembrane and corneobacterium diphtheria. Corneobacterium diphtheria produces diphtheria toxin, an exotoxin, um, and this exotoxin is very specifically known for inhibiting elongation factor 2. Uh, next question. A 24-year-old female presents to the physician with concerns regarding breast milk production. She states that she has never been pregnant and has no children. She also notes that her breasts have enlarged over the past several months, and she recently began producing milk. On exam, she is noted to have bitemporal hemianopsia. Her presentation is most consistent with the disorder caused by overproduction of a hormone produced by what cellular organelle? I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. So the cellular organelle is rough endoplasmic reticulum. Going through her presentation, she has galactorrhea and bitemporal hemianopsia, which makes us think of prolactinoma. Prolactin is a peptide hormone, and uh, peptide hormones are synthesized in the rough endoplasmic reticulum. Gosh, bringing back um, knowledge that you probably gained studying for the MCAT and then I was re-emphasized or maybe built upon a little bit during uh, your biochemistry sections of your courses in medical school. So moving on, a 71-year-old male is brought to the ED by his daughter due to tender gums and petechia over the lower extremities. She states that he has lived alone for the past two years after his wife passed away. Since that time, he struggled with depression and finds little pleasure in eating. He states that he has mostly eaten meat, bread, and desserts. The physician on call suspects a nutrient deficiency resulting in impaired synthesis of an important molecule. What step in the synthesis of this molecule is most likely impaired? I'll give you a few seconds to think about what molecule and then what step in the synthesis pathway. So the molecule is collagen, and the step that we are most likely dealing with is hydroxylation. 
of the pro-alpha chain, and that step requires vitamin C. So to get there, we had tender gums, petechia, and a poor diet. So like the tea and toast diet is kind of a buzzword, which is scurvy. So they said um, kind of like petechia of the lower extremities. It could also have been explained as circular hair follicle bruises um, or parafollicular hyperkeratotic papules. Um, And these most often present on the shin. They appear as reddish, bluish, bruise-like spots. So they aren't actually bruises, um, but they look like bruises. Last little thing about this subject. So we're actually hydroxylating lysine and proline and these are part of collagen's glycine xy repeating triplet with the x and y being mostly lysine and proline respectively and that's kind of like an interesting little tidbit about collagen that i think is important to know because it's where collagen gets a lot of its strength from and why a vitamin c deficiency is so detrimental Next question. A 21-year-old male with no significant past medical history presents for a routine office visit. He is six and a half feet tall and has long extremities. During cardiac auscultation of the left sternal border, a hollow systolic murmur that radiates to the left axilla is heard. The physician suspects a genetic disorder resulting in a defective glycoprotein. What is the function of the glycoprotein most likely described? So... First of all, the protein that we're thinking of is fibrillin 1 or microfibrillar scaffold. And that kind of gives away what its job is. So it provides a scaffolding for elastin. And we know that elastin's function is really to provide stretch um, within tissues and then that bounce, that necessary bounce back. If we don't have a structure or a scaffolding, um, then elastin cannot do its job properly, which is um, how we see some of the other features of Marfan's. So maybe there's some chest deformity or he might have some eyesight problems. Um, So his lens would be located, dislocated upwards. And then the murmur that is being heard is actually a murmur of mitral regurgitation. So that's a high-pitched holosystolic murmur. And I know we associate like um, aortic regurg or some kind of aortic sound as associated with Marfan syndrome, which is completely true. But test makers can also pull from the fact that Marfan syndrome affects other parts of the heart as well, and you can have mitral regurg in the disease. Don't be immediately thrown off if you think it's Marfan's, but the murmur isn't aortic in nature. So I think that's where I'm going to end the recording for now, but I know that you're preparing for step one, so I just wanted to leave you with a little bit um, of some encouragement. So a little progress each day does add up to big results. You've really been working hard during medical school. Um, Don't discount all of the studying you've done for your in-house exams and all the studying you've been doing along the way. You're kind of in the final push, the final like relearning of things that you've learned or maybe brushing off the dust. Um, It's all going to come back. Like Believe in yourselves. I believe in you. I know um, you've been putting in the effort. Like, I mean, you're doing something extra. You're listening to a podcast. Like, that's awesome. Keep it up. You're really, really close to getting through one of the big major steps of medical school. Like, step one, 
Um, it's going to be here and it's going to be gone before you know it. And you're going to look back on it and be like, oh, okay, yeah, it's done. Whew, thank goodness. So you're getting there. It's really like you're almost at the peak of the mountain. And then it's really uh, kind of downhill from there. Keep up the good work. I know you're doing well. Bye for now.